0: Welcome back to The The Mentors. Mentors! This is Vadim and Sergey, and this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite having no experience, money, or connections. Today on the show we have Diego Berrio. Did I say that correctly? It's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Us Russians can also roll our R's. Diego's with Bright Sky Ventures. He's uh, one of the partners and he is actually our first interviewee that started a venture firm. So we're really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Today we want to dig into your story, you know, how you came about to even get into the venture space. So I guess give us a little bit of background. What did you do after college? How do you think you
1: positioned yourself in your career to then get into venture investment? Yeah, so I studied economics business and finance at the university and I always wanted to do something like investment banking. Back in Colombia when I graduated, I didn't even know private equity existed, so everyone was going to, to investment banking boutiques and I said, okay, I think this is going to be very interesting. Um, What's the
0: difference between investment banking and private equity for folks listening?
1: Okay, so investment bankers, they, they do t- transaction advisory, right? They, they're not on the investment side. So they're going to connect the dots between acquirers and, and sellers, but they're not going to be, let's say, it's not the risk if the, the deal is good or bad. They're going to always try to do the best thing for their clients, but they're not the ones investing. So I, I actually started working for a, for a pension fund, and uh, but very, very fast. I had to go back to my hometown. I studied in Bogota. I had to go back to my hometown. My family business um, needed me because my dad was actually quite ill, and he wanted me to take over.
0: What was the business, the family business?
1: So it was a, a company doing a CPG, so consumer products. And basically, we were importing uh, products from uh, different countries and also doing some manufacturing. There, I helped the company as a, a finance manager, and I was around 24 years old. I really enjoyed dealing with the finance and basically helping the company restructure its debt. And then, when my, when my father was, let's say, in good health again, I decided to move back to Bogota. The capital of Colombia, uh, where I'm originally from, and um, do a master's in finance. During that period, I landed in a private equity uh, job and became the portfolio manager of the first hospitality fund in, in Colombia. It wasn't really expected, but I, I just jumped in it. And it was does that something you just sent a application for to interview or through a connection you got? Yeah, so actually it was it was through a connection. I was always um, let's say very interested in in corporate finance. I was doing like workshops and university. And a friend of mine from the university said, "Hey, listen, I have this fund uh, that reached out to me. This is not the kind of job that I that I'm interested in. Why don't you talk to them? It might be something that would fit you better." So I talked to the fund. It was an American-based uh, fund who was raising a fund in, in, in Colombia. And um, it was it was a great experience for me. Then I, that's how I started my, my career in, in private equity. I didn't start in, in venture capital. So, but let's say after uh, some good years in private equity, I, I think I went through my 30-year-old crisis. And at that point, I said, okay, I think it's time to do something new. And... Um, Actually, yeah, when I was uh, 31, I I decided to try something completely new. And I joined uh, Education Technology, a scaled-up company. Uh, At that point, they had around 10,000 students already, uh, let's say, joining the programs. And they needed help in terms of restructuring the debt of the company, on finding new ways to find revenue, of uh, also basically streamlining their operations, and also raise uh, funds from investors. Since the company had a very strong socially driven purpose, we found and we look for for impact investing funds. Actually, we found one, Acumen Fund, that is here actually based here in New York. And um, it was a very good experience to see how Venture Capital Fund wanted to approach the company. And I might say that the approach was a little bit different than the one that I experience before in private equity. So I was extremely excited. We actually helped the company during my tenure there to go to break-even point. We restructured the debt and all this with, uh, let's say, we we teamed up with the fund and we made it happen. So I decided after a period there to move to Europe and study, have my MBA, and I moved to France. And I chose France because back in Colombia, I started in a French school. So when I moved to France and I wanted to do my MBA, MBA, I was focused. I wanted to do venture capital. I want to back up for a second here because I think you got an interest in venture
0: capital initially because you had that experience with Acumen Fund. And Acumen Fund, uh, actually, it's a nonprofit, right? They have a for-profit venture fund within the nonprofit. Actually, at Venture for America, we talked to the folks at Acumen Fund and other nonprofits who have venture funds before we created our venture fund at a nonprofit because you know you can have actually a for-profit venture in a nonprofit, which is really interesting. But what was that experience for you? What was it that you liked about that experience of dealing with those venture investors and how they approached investing in the business versus how private equity investor might approach investing in a business?
1: Yeah, very good question. Um, so actually, I love the fact that they, as you said, they're a nonprofit because when they have a profits, they reinvest them in the in their fund. But they're tracking not only the financial profits, but also, let's say, the social impact that the company is doing. In this case, Edupol, the company that I was working for, basically was offering blended education programs to people uh, located in vulnerable and poor areas of uh, Colombia, in this case. So, you know, I saw from them their intention to really grow the the company and increase the access of education to uh, low income people in Colombia. So I saw the clear purpose beyond just uh, the the financial profits. And, you know, when you you can really team up when when you have a clear objective beyond just cutting costs and selling more and increase, let's say, uh, your return on investment.
0: Got it. So basically, the way that the investors, private equity investors, thought because the size of deals they were working on, the types of companies they were going into was very different, right? It was how do you maximize profits with venture capital? It's similar, but it's more growth oriented. Uh, and it's how do you kind of have upward and forward
1: trajectory? And that's what excited you more. Exactly. I think I what I love about venture capital is that um, investors see a great potential not only on the on the model or the business model of the of the company or in the tech but also see a great potential in the team like the quality of the people they're working on and they really get married quote unquote uh, for five to seven years to grow the business and and, and actually uh, materialize uh, a vision so i really enjoy that Interesting. And uh, the EdTech
0: company you worked for, this was based in Colombia as well? Yes. it was a pretty big company at this point. So you learned a lot through the PE experience now, and I guess being an operator within an actual company too. I'm assuming you parlez-vous français well, oui, I don't. <laughs> that's all living. <laughs> I took it for two years in middle school, but that's about it. But you went to a French school. You decided, I want to study in Paris. Um, I'm assuming you, you also like Paris and just wanted to spend some time there too. But then you moved to Paris and w- w- you were getting an MBA there? Yes. What was the plan there? You had a master's degree before that. Was it was a master's in finance yes. that you got. Now you're getting another business degree, an MBA in France. At that point in time, how are you thinking that's going to position you for a venture capital job?
1: So for me, the MBA was the way to switch location and basically make a, a, a big leap in in my career. I wanted to live in, in France because, as I mentioned, I grew up in the French culture, within the French culture in school. So everything that I studied from when I was three-year-old to 18-year-old, everything was in French. All my teachers were French. I was speaking French all day. So... I think that for most of us, there was always this dream to come to France and um, and basically live there for a while. And for me, it was do- a double dream, let's say. It was the dream to live in France, but also to basically enter the VC industry. I knew that the, the venture industry is not as strong in France or in Europe as it is in the US, but there is still a very interesting ecosystem that is growing a lot. So for me, I it was... Okay. Also, a way to differentiate is okay. I speak the language, I speak French, uh, but I also speak English, and I'm Latin American. So I was thinking always, okay, how can I differentiate or position myself so that I basically can add value to an investment firm? And that was the case during uh, the MBA. I joined a venture fund, a French venture fund that with offices in San Francisco as well, and I spent there six months. It was for me. Really a good experience because when I had that internship, I was thinking, okay, I need to do this internship, probably get myself um, hired in this fund, and then build a track record, wait seven years, and then create my own fund. I always had that that end goal in mind. But then I saw the partners um, extremely young. And I say extremely young because they're my age. <laughs> and they raised they had raised this fund they created a, a beautiful community around uh, hardware startups how, how big was the fund that they raised 30 million uh, dollar fund okay and then i said i thought okay why don't i do it i have the investment background everything is there okay i don't have a track record but i have uh, i think i have experience as an, as an investor i've been an operator as you mentioned before So why don't give it a shot? So after the um, internship, I decided to create uh, Bright Sky Ventures.
0: So really quickly, I'm sure, since there's not a lot of venture capital funds in France, I'm sure it's very competitive to even get that internship. How were you able to get
1: that internship? Well, so I explored the the alumni network of uh, my university, which is HEC Paris. And there were some uh, venture capitalists uh, within the network. And actually, there was one that was also was not Latin American, but it was a, a Taiwanese partner who came to Europe also to after living in Silicon Valley to do venture capital. So even if it wasn't exactly the same, we had like some common ground. I reached out to him and uh, he put me in touch with the rest of his partners and the internship just happened. So well, outreach, once yeah. again, strikes again,
0: you have to you have to reach out to your network, you know, if you want opportunities, you have to make it happen for yourself. Uh, this, this is the case across every person and successful person that we talk to. So, you know, at this point, you see these young guys $30 million fund, hell, if they could do this, I can too. And you go through this internship. And then you decided to start Bright Sky Ventures. What was the very first step there? I mean, were you thinking, okay, I got to figure out how to raise a $30 million fund or whatever the minimum size is for, for a venture fund? Or what was the very first step to actually uh, creating Bright Sky Ventures, day one?
1: Sure. So, you know, I, I knew from the very beginning that um, capital uh, had become a commodity uh, in these days. So I n- really needed to differentiate somehow. I also had the luck. Or well, let's say, or the chance to build a very interesting network in in the aerospace industry. So was this when you were in P, or when I was in no, in Paris, in oh, Paris dur- and thanks during to the, the MBA. Uh, yeah, during the MBA, so I had uh, this handful of what I call veteran entrepreneurs, basically um, CEOs of companies that created their own business maybe thirty or forty or twenty years ago, and now these businesses are very robust and let's say probably companies uh, from fifty to five hundred million euro of uh, uh, annual revenue. And, you know, I, uh, during several conversations with them, I told them and we realized, okay, the big guys, let's call it Boeing, Lockheed, Airbus, Safran, Thales in, in France or in, in the U.S., they have venture arms, they have innovation labs, they have innovation teams, they have uh, different resources uh, that they can allocate for, to attract um, external innovation, so my, my point with them was, I know that you guys are very strong in, in internal R&D, but I don't, I, I don't see the, the resources that you are basically putting to um, have an exposure to this kind of external innovation. Why don't we create a vehicle that is going to, uh, to allow you to have this kind of exposure and an eye on everything that is happening in the industry or innovations that can be applied to the industry? So they were very excited about it. So this is how Bright Sky was born. And basically, the, our first mandate was for these veteran entrepreneurs in the aerospace industry to have a look on, on what was the innovation uh, that the startups were bringing to the industry. So we started investing first in Silicon Valley, in Israel, in France, uh, now in Portugal. So this is how I started. So let's take a step back. How how did you even build relationships
0: with them in the first place? Why specifically successful Aerospace uh, people? I mean, did you reach out to them? What was the purpose for you building a relationship with them before you started the fund?
1: Okay, yeah. So I didn't mention, but let's say uh, one of the very first reasons why I decided to join HEC is because they had this this very particular program that is called uh, Tech, uh, the Executive Committee. And basically, I don't know if you've heard about this organization, YPO, Young uh, mm-hmm. President's Organization. Mm-hmm. Yep. Basically, they do this, um, but in an MBA setting. So they, you have to apply. Once you have been admitted to the MBA program, if you want to join this program, you need to apply. And there's only 12 spots uh, in every cohort. So uh, I applied, and I was admitted to this program. Basically, what they do is that every month, uh, a group of 12 people, 12 students meet with a CEO for an entire day and basically he shares his experience not from the professional side but more from the personal side so it's very engaging it's very dynamic so you can see that basically it was very beneficial for me to join the MBA hmm. uh, because before that I didn't have any kind of a connection in 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 France so this same episode happened like uh, at least six times uh, during the MBA. And um, by coincidence, somehow, the CEOs that were coming to talk to us, most of them were in this industry. Hmm. And then we had the, the chance to talk over the, the problems that, or not the problems, but the opportunities may, maybe of uh, the industry. And being them as part, not of the big, big uh, giants of the industry, but let's say uh, mid sized companies, uh, they were all, all, they're always looking for ways to grow and be more competitive.
0: Interesting. So you're essentially through these meetings, not only building the relationships, but doing uh, customer discovery, which we talk about a lot, which any early stage business does, even even if this was before you knew that you wanted to start a venture fund, you were just learning so much about the different problems that they had, that maybe that kind of helped you come up with the opportunity. And then once you realized, you know, let's do this concept where we uh, bring innovations together to the forefront investing companies. Did you get this group together to kind of agree on the uh, methodology and thesis and how you're gonna going To go after these companies, or uh, did you meet individually? What was the process there?
1: It was actually interesting because when I was uh, at Hardware Club the fund that I would I interned I started exploring a lot like all the venture investments in in the aerospace industry so of course you have like the like the, the big guys like SpaceX now that everyone knows but there are other many other companies that have been let's say uh, building business models to democratize space and now you see a lot of companies let's say developing uh, different kind of launchers big uh, big space launchers small space launchers satellites and basically there's a there, there are many things happening around so I was ex- extremely excited about this even if I don't have any any background on aerospace whatsoever I found it very interesting and then by coincidence again, somehow I built this network in aerospace. So I said, okay, why, why don't we try to do something there? And I also thought, okay, this is a great opportunity to de- differentiate. Uh, bright Sky since there are no funds, or maybe a few, just that are specialized in early stage in aerospace and defense.
0: So you essentially pulled this group of people together and decided we're going to start investing in companies together and so to clarify uh, were these individuals investing their own money or was
1: it a fund that you put together that you raised how how did that work yeah so basically as as you know i don't i jump from private equity to venture so I didn't have the tra- any kind of track record to say, OK, I'm going to raise a fund, a blind pool. You guys don't have any kind of decision to make once the, the, the commitment is done. So I proposed them to basically do a syndication where Bright Sky was going to have a skin in the game and we are, were basically going to coinvest. And I think that was appealing to them because they had the chance to jump in the deal if uh, they thought that it was interesting. The only, let's say, rule that we have is that they need to understand that maybe the investments that we made weren't going to be directly aligned with their current business. So this was, let's say, something that took some time because, of course, you want to have an alignment of, okay, how can I absorb this technology or... Uh, How can I basically benefit from it? We say, okay, it's not just about the investment, but it's in general, let's say, having an eye of innovation in in the industry. Obviously, it sounds like you started already exploring
0: this industry during the internship that you had, and that's how you saw that there's opportunity to invest there. But once you put this uh, group together and you said, we're going to co-invest... How did you start uh, looking for investment opportunities? Because you you mentioned you invested in in Silicon Valley and Israel and the like. So what were the first steps to start looking for these opportunities?
1: So the first thing that I started looking, I went through my, let's say, LinkedIn contact list. And I said, okay, who can be somehow associated uh, in one way or the other to this this industry? And I started to see uh, connections of my connections. I started to also check on, uh, let's say, events. Uh, funds that are somehow uh, let's say maybe not specialized but have invested somehow in the industry like what kind of blocks there were so i started like mapping the ecosystem and i started flying so the um, uh, france it's very particular also because it's a country that has basically all the aerospace value chain within and this only happens let's say in france uh in the u.s in israel Um, and I think in Russia so right in in France you can build a helicopter an aircraft um, satellite and a space launcher so this really helped the veteran entrepreneurs that I mentioned before they opened doors very interesting doors for me but I also started just reaching out to people and say hey um, this is my idea this is uh, what I'm building Um, would you be interested to have a coffee in Tel Aviv in New York, in Paris, in Toulouse, that it's a big, uh, let's say, aerospace hub. And this is how it started growing. For these investments, so let's say you're doing all this traveling, you're meeting companies, you find one
0: that's an interesting investment opportunity. How did you, as a group, decide how much you were gonna invest? And then for, for somebody that is looking to be in your shoes, that maybe has been doing finance for a while and now they really wanna get into venture capital and they wanna start syndicating deals, What's the minimum that they need to be able to invest themselves out of pocket, even if they can get a bunch of super successful entrepreneurs to invest with them, maybe put the bulk of the money in? What do you think is the minimum that somebody needs to have to be able to invest in companies to be able to put together a
1: syndicate at all? So what I would say is um, don't think about minimums, because if you think about what minimum you need to start, you might never start. Right. So. I never thought about, okay, how much money do I need to take out of my pocket? You know, I just had uh, one and a half years of MBA moving from, let's say, uh, emerging market currency to euro. Uh, The Colombian peso lost 30% of its value during the MBA. So it's not like I had uh, something. So, you know, I had to... Find, as any other entrepreneur, friends, family, and fools, right? To say, hey, listen, I'm investing in aerospace startups. Mm-hmm. Look, this one, this is basically the, the first, our, our first investment uh, was Loft Orbital. A great group of entrepreneurs, great idea, basically the Uber of, um, of satellites. And, uh, you know, the, the, the business model and what they were trying to put together was extremely exciting. So it excited our, our, the backers, let's say bright sky backers, but also friends and family and fools. And, <laughs> and then we put out the, the first investment together. So when, you know, when I joined uh, seed round, I asked the founders, what is the minimum ticket and why so big? right so i so i think that for the veteran entrepreneurs and basically to build trust you need first to have skin in the game but you need also to to build trust right so it's by basically showing them the way you assess the deal uh, and showing them the potential but also the risk is the way that you start okay they they they're gonna test they're going to put some money. And then as you show that basically you are professional, that you're doing what you're saying and you're delivering the value that you propose you were going uh, to deliver, they start, of course, let's say increasing the, the the amounts that they're ready to to invest.
0: So do you remember that first deal that you put together, how much you had to pull together from friends, family, etc., to be able to to convince everybody
1: else to put in money into the deal? Uh, with, with Brad Sky, we started very small. And basically, we were the smallest non-individual investor. So we started having a basically angel kind of investment in these companies. And and then when, when Bright Sky was starting to make additional investments, so we, we always proposed this to the, to the founders. We said, look, we are going to basically, we would like to put the foot on the door with a small amount and depending... The way uh, we see you guys moving forward, we will be able to continue investment. So we proposed a scheduled investment, right? And this was very appealing, not only to the, to the scheduled, 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 okay. scheduled investment, because, you know, it's, uh, it's also it's, it's a way to basically uh, protect bright sky investors from the uh, downside, but also to engage somehow with the founders and have a common goal. Right? So we say, okay, if you reach these KPIs, we, we continue investing. So, but basically the first investment can be something, let's say around 50K, even 50K, like an angel investment. And we say, okay, if you reach this next milestone, we can double that. And if you reach another milestone, and this is within the six, next six months, mm. we can actually double what we have already already invested. So it can grow very fast. When you told them, did this milestone-based
0: investing, did you have to get commitment from the rest of the uh, people in the syndicate that you're going to be putting in up to a certain amount, or it's essentially 50K tranches at a time is is all they were committing to?
1: So basically, yes. I mean, it's customized on the deal, because sometimes you just participate on a seed, let's say, round, that is closed, and say, okay, you participate, and that's it. And we cannot just, uh, let's say, negotiate what is when your next investment is coming. So that's very specific. But there are other kind of deals when when uh, um, founders are racing, not only on a specific round, but are racing, let's say, from angel investors. So they're more flexible. And uh, they say, okay, we have a target of potentially, I don't know, racing 500 to 700, but they don't have, okay, the round is going to be closed by this day. So there for us is... It's easier to have this kind of schedule investment that has worked pretty well. So if you're
0: putting in 50K with a group of investors, uh, probably to have skin in the game, maybe even mm-hmm. 10K or something like that is enough, right?
1: No. So basically, you need to start with something. With I mean, it's difficult for a founder to basically invest his time in a, in a 10K Right? So, no, you the, need... the
0: check is 50K, but even like you said, from, from the other side where you have to invest your own and raise from friends, family, mm-hmm. your own commitment didn't have to be half of it, right? It, it, was, it could have been a relatively small percentage.
1: So, I think it depends. Okay. So, it depends on, you know, when, when I really believe in the, in, in the deal, I, and maybe, I don't know, um, some uh, backers, they're a little bit skeptical. They say, I say, okay, I'm going to, the bright sky, it's gonna in this first investment it's gonna take most of the risk but then we as a group need to commit that with follow-on investments so it's um you know it's it's balancing sometimes is you need to just uh, uh, make the leap and or sometimes everyone is ready to to jump it's an ongoing and tailored situation in every case so, you know, now you're doing these investments
0: uh, all over the world, it looks like. 50K to what's the biggest uh, check you guys wrote to so, date?
1: So I think that, you know, in terms of we can what we tried before uh, seed, between pre-seed and seed, we tried to do, in general, 200K, mm. and then we follow on, let's say, in Series A. Got it. And so
0: you're doing this, I'm assuming it's exciting for you, obviously. Do you, you, you think you'll stay in the sort of aerospace
1: space <laughs> or are you trying to broaden now your portfolio so the thing with the aerospace is that you can imagine that the um, the tickets grow exponentially and more than in other industries so very quickly let's say after pre-seed even in seed rounds you start seeing the, the big guys that i mentioned uh, at the beginning coming with with the big checks and follow on and keep your uh, your prorata it's quite hard so um, let's say aerospace, so for us, let's say, and, and, and our mandate is basically to have exposure to the industry. So even if we follow on on Series A uh, to try to basically protect the, the ownership that we that we had at the beginning, we don't see ourselves as continuing in Series B and, and, and after that. And the model of, uh, let's say, corp, uh, venture capital as a service, as, as we call it, where you help um, uh, medium enterpro- medium-sized enterprises to, um, to basically explore the innovation in, within the industry, I think is valuable not only for aerospace in France, but also for many industries, for example, in my home country. So now we, are, we have one of our partners who is based in, in Colombia, and we are uh, starting to work with, uh, with local corporates.
0: So you want to raise a fund from local corporates that then will enable you to make independent, as a fund, independent investment decisions yourselves?
1: Yes. So basically, I think that, uh, you know, the syndication was the way to start and, and to prove the value that Brightscape can bring. But of course, as uh, long term investors, we, we believe that the way to do it is, is through a fund or a family of funds, but start with one one fund. Um, and uh, so, yes, our idea is to do like multi-corporate, basically multi-corporate funds, where we find or, or let's say, or even one company or a group of companies that have somehow interest to explore the innovation at a global scale and uh, that can share resources and, and, and have a bright sky to help with that. And what do you think is going to be a
0: target for you for a size of fund that you want to raise? Do you have an idea?
1: Yeah, so I think, I think that for uh, first-time funds, a good target would be something between uh, 20 to $30 million. So what would you say to a young person who
0: maybe is in finance, maybe, maybe they've been working for some startups that have been growing quickly and they really want to get into venture capital. What would be your parting word of advice to that per- person for the first
1: step that they should take to get closer to getting into VC? What would you say? So the first thing I would say, uh, learn about the, the industry. And uh, I think there are many, many inspiring uh, investors, founders, and uh, use cases that show that you don't need to basically go through an extensive career in venture capital or be, let's say, the one unicorn entrepreneur to, to do what you like. I mean, if this is something that really excites you, you find the network, find your angle and just dive in. So, that's, that's, that's what I did. I, I'm, I mean, I've created or started companies before, but I don't see myself as a tech founder, for example. It's just about if you're interested, you will learn the, um, let's say, all the details of the industry itself and you just start doing something that is your passion and it doesn't look like a job. So that's, that would be my, my advice. Just try to jump in and don't wait. Don't wait for the perfect timing It's never going to be the perfect timing. You're never going to have sufficient money aside. You'll never have sufficient experience. You'll never have uh, the, the, the required network. But then when you make the leap of faith, then everything starts happening. But I think this this is kind of a cliche uh, um, sentence, but get out of your comfort zone. I mean, the venture industry is very competitive. There are a few spots and people just... I see people or let's say friends who's just uh, very talented and they say, okay, this is... I'm not finding the spot. And I say, okay, because it's a numbers game. I mean, like everything, right? Like teams are very small um they don't I mean actually when when funds hire they don't want to have a high turn uh, turnaround and people stay for a long time because it's exciting funds are are cool to work at so if you don't have if you cannot position yourself or find a spot create your own spot
0: I love that. Don't wait for the right moment. Get out of your comfort zone. We always say if you want to switch careers, if you want to do something different in your life, if you start realizing that something else excites you, just like for you, you know, you started this as a syndicate. Now you want to raise a bigger fund. You want to do investments in Latin America. You want to bring innovations to corporations as well. This is something that excites you. That's the model that you're interested in. And you're going to make it happen just like you did with uh, creating the syndicate, right? Whenever there's a problem you have to solve, You figured out how to do it. And you have to be willing to do that. And as long as you do, you will have a chance of getting into it. Uh, But you have to continue to persevere. No one's telling you what to do. It's a decision that you can make yourself in your own life. So thanks a lot, Diego, for being on the show. This is really exciting.
1: Thank you very much for having me.